Hello and welcome to this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast, coming to you semi-live from the southeast side of Indianapolis, Indiana. Joining me, my partner in crime, my friend, my wife, special correspondent, Ann Adams, who has like 17 titles. Hello, everyone. Well, Anne, and we have a special non-sponsor sponsor this week. <laughs> yes, this week's non-sponsor sponsor is Tiny Cherry Coke. Tiny Cherry Coke, 7.5 ounces of Tiny Cherry Coke. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> cherry Coke, only smaller. Uh, and and buys the 7.5 ounce Cokes, and uh, that's good for her, and she likes that size. Whenever I have them, I feel like the, a, a can has been hit with a shrink ray. Yeah, it's, it's very weird. I first encountered them when I was doing a, an internship in college, and... Um, I was doing like a photography project at a funeral home and the funeral home had these tiny little cans of Coke. And I was just like, this is really, really tiny. And, but it's like the perfect size, especially for people like me who I don't drink a lot of coffee, but I kind of like, I sometimes need a little caffeine during the day. Cause unfortunately I do have a slight case of daytime narcolepsy and, um, so I need, but see, I also have, um, kind of a, like a heart arrhythmia, so I can't drink a lot of caffeine. So sometimes, you know, during the afternoon when I'm at work or if I'm having my lunch, you know, I just want that little tiny bit of caffeine just to kind of pick me up. Yeah. Give me a little pick me up during the day. And, and those are perfect because I can have one and I've had my, coke fix and i don't need to drink like a huge coke well i i you know i'm a chugger the adam's yeah chug, you and, pretty much uh, can't you basically i can get rid of that in one gulp i was gonna say one sip pretty much and yeah. that is done yeah. <laughs> uh we were talking before the show too they're coming out with a cinnamon coke here Ooh. at the end of september and uh interested in that i mean i will try anything once i'm kind of on that person I kind of, I thought the orange vanilla was okay. Yeah, I like, thought it was it fine. It wasn't something I would drink every day, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I don't regret buying a case of that to try, but I he don't just... know why I bought a case of it to try. <laughs> he was very excited, I guess. I don't they know. They just showed so many commercials for it. I guess I just it just got into my brain. But I just can't, I don't know. Cinnamon and Coke just don't seem like... A good pairing. Yeah, I wonder if it'll be, have a little bit of a spicy aftertaste. I don't know. You know, I don't know. And then they're doing a cranberry Sprite as well, which uh, yeah. for the holidays, which I think that makes sense. I think cranberry Sprite would actually be pretty good, but I think, because there are a lot of people sometimes that'll put like fruit in their Sprite or right. like cherries in their Sprite. Well, and they've, they've got all those syrup options now, like at a freestyle, you can get pretty much any flavor yeah. of Sprite that you want, so... This is sort of an extension of that. Now, uh, I was reading yesterday on CNN that the, the cinnamon Coke has been in the UK for the last year or two. And do people like and it? And people like it. That's It's been so really? popular over there that they're, they're bringing it over here. Now, that, well, our tastes don't always align. We like things that are a little bit yeah, sweeter over here than our, they do across our, the our, pond. The but, taste with the British, I mean, yeah, we, we're nothing alike. I mean, come on. Balafi pie. And, you know, some of their snacks over there. Not my favorite. So I can't imagine that if they like it, that Americans are going to like it. And it's it's also not clear if it's going to be the uh, uh, like the full sugar version, you know, just uh, regular Coke, 
with cinnamon or whether it'll be a zero sugar version. I think in the UK that's it's it's zero sugar. You know, and I could see if they did like a zero sugar because it's a little bit lighter and a might little bit crisper. Might kind of mask that, that, you know, that sort of artificially taste a little bit. Yeah. Although I, I think Coke Zero sugar is pretty good, but you could definitely tell a difference between that and an actual Coke. Yeah. So, I don't know. Anyway, that was a random note. That was not really a planned part of the show, but that is this <laughs> week's non-sponsor sponsor, Tiny Cherry Coke. <laughs> This episode is called Ann and Matt Go to the Video Store, because we do go to the video store every once in a while. Not as frequently, probably, as they want us to, because I get a, a coupon every couple of weeks from them just saying, like, will you please come to the movie store and rent a movie? We'll give you a rent one, get one free. And But we've got a family video just down the way, and thank goodness there has been construction on a roundabout near our house that's one of our favorite routes to take it takes us away from sort of some of the main roads around here and that road has been closed for a couple of months it's been driving us crazy the roundabout's finally fixed and so we're able to easily go to family video so we went to family video the other day and rented uh, uh what would you call it a gaggle uh <laughs> of movies i don't I'd know i'd say a gaggle is an appropriate word i think it's <laughs> definitely the most movies we've rented at one time in a while well and and we had picked out four and then they're like well you know you've got three of these right now and if you rent the three then you get a fourth one free so we're like well we may as well go ahead and get a fourth one free so the ones that we picked out uh were the best of enemies green book the girl in the spider's web and on the basis of sex and I was going to rent a movie called Searching with John Cho. And then I'm like, ah, oh, no, that's okay. We won't, we won't get that. We'll get these other movies. And then when they're like, well, if you can get these three and that's fine, but you could get a fourth rental for free, so you might as well go ahead and get a fourth rental for free. So we went back and I went ahead and picked out Searching. Oh, and it was the little, oh my gosh. Okay, so there's like this really cute, he's probably college age kid. That works at our family video. He's so cool. I love and him. he is absolutely adorable. He looks like a little anime character. <laughs> he looks like a Japanese anime character. Although he is he is kind of tall for an anime he, character. He's tall. He's tall and lean. But he's got like he's got like this almost like a what do you call it? Like a Zach Efron kind of bang sweep. He's got a like swoosh. He's got a serious swoosh like, in his hair. Serious it's, it's hair. Awesome. And um, he, it's like he's an anime character. He is really adorable. And he has great movie recommendations, yes. too. And he's really, he's just a really nice kid. And he seems to always be in there when we go mm -hmm. in there. He always yep. seems to be working. He recognizes us yes. when we come in. And he so. is so sweet and so nice. He's like, oh, hey, welcome back. I'm like, your mom must be so proud of you. You're adorable. So we, we got uh, Searching was kind of a lark. Not really a lark, but we... I was going to get it, and I'm like, ah, we've got these other movies that we want to It didn't watch. look as exciting as the other ones we were getting. And then I'm like, well, you know what? We get a free rental. What What does it matter? You know? So we went, and we we're just going to kind of talk about the movies that, that we rented. And then we'll do our power rankings of the movies. Uh, there's kind of an asterisk by these because there was one movie that, and I don't remember why I didn't watch it. But, I mean, I know why I didn't watch it. It was because it was a one-night-only the other rentals were five days, so we re like rented them on a Saturday, and they weren't due back till Wednesday. But the one was due back the next night, 
And was I watching a ball game, or was I writing, or was I doing something else? You were doing else? something, and you just couldn't watch and, it. And I just me. didn't have the stomach for it, or didn't have the, not the stomach, but I didn't have the time to watch it. And that's the most recent of the releases. It was The Best of Enemies, which had Sam Rockwell, and is it Taraji P. Henson? I think that that would be about right. All right. If I, I butchered your name, my Ms. Henson, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure you're a frequent listener of the podcast. Yeah, she's really going to care. I'm, I'm really, really sad about that. Uh, so Anne watched that one by herself. So it's unranked in my power rankings of the movies that we watched, but not because it wasn't any good, just because I didn't, I didn't get a chance to watch that one. So when we talk about these, and we'll, we'll start, we'll, we'll just go in the order that we watched them, which it went Best of Enemies, Green Book, Girl in the Spider's Web, Searching, and then On the Basis of Sex. And they're all fairly recent releases. So uh, one of them's an Academy Award winner, <laughs> somehow, for some people wondering how that happened. And uh, so, Anne, tell me a little bit about Best of Enemies. And that, that was the first one that we watched. It was the one-night rental. I didn't get a chance to look at it and see it, but you, you, you tell me your thoughts on that. I really liked it. Um, Best of Enemies is, of course, based on a real-life best of enemies friendship uh, between a white KKK leader in Durham. Is it North or South Carolina? I keep, I don't know why I messed that up. It's Durham, North Carolina. North that's, Carolina. That's where uh, Duke is that University right? is. Okay. Yep. Um, I don't know why my instinct's always South Carolina. <laughs> uh, I promise you I know my geography. <laughs> Just not at this very second. But anyway, uh, it was a kind of a friendship between that evolves eventually between a white KKK leader, C.P. Ellis, and a black um, civil rights and human rights worker in Durham named Ann Atwater. And basically what happens is uh, during this uh, during the summer of 1970 in Durham, the uh, the black school burns in a fire they don't know if it was an accidental fire because you know the school was so run down and the wiring was bad um, because of course back then the south didn't fund black schools like they should have um and of course everything was still segregated so um you know the black kids had you know the lower textbooks that were separate but equal and yes. equal <laughs> i'm doing air quotes because yes. that's how it was <laughs> But, um, so when it, the fire happens, they don't know if it's, you know, something that just happened or if it was, you know, something but race related. Something that could have equally have happened at white school. Yes. Right? Yes. I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. A little side note. Matt is rolling his eyes. Um, but what happens is, you know, the school burns and the kids need to finish out the school year. And I think it's in like the spring, like going into the summer. And um, basically the community comes together and they do uh, what back then I think they called like a, oh, uh, what is it? Like a, oh, I can't remember the name for it. But it was basically like a little workshop where everybody got together and they kind of... Um, shared their feelings like all the members of the community was it got like together. a working group yeah sort of uh they called it something specific and okay. i'm trying to remember what they called it but it was, was it a gaggle no it wasn't a gaggle Sorry. it was um 
basically like a, a workshop or like a just a, a, a meeting that went on, um, you know, uh, basically between the white and black members of the community. To try to figure out what to yes, do about they this had, situation. And of course, Ann Atwater and C.P. Ellis were both on the city council. Um, so they were trying to figure out because they wanted to integrate the schools. And that way the black students could finish out the school year because at the time they only had like one classroom for like so many hundreds of kids that they were on like a, like a, like a, uh, a changing schedule where like, you know, kids would go to school for a couple hours a day and then they would leave and another group of kids would come for a couple hours a day and then they would leave and then another group would come so that everybody could be, um, in school that day. And so anyway, they decided to, um, come together. Well, of course, C.P. Ellis, um, and Ann Atwater don't like each other. They don't know anything about each other. All C.P. Ellis knows is that Ann Atwater, if something happens in the black community and it needs to be fixed, she's the one that comes in guns blazing. You know, she's very outspoken, uh, very, I mean, she knows her stuff, but she's very no nonsense. And I think there's a part of him that kind of likes that about her because she's a very strong woman. But at the same time, you know, he became a KKK member when he was 20 years old. At the time that this happens, he is the, I think they call it the grand cyclops of the Durham chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. And um, he is basically the leader. And so even though there's a part of him that thinks, you know, maybe after talking with, you know, the civil, you know, the leaders and stuff, maybe they're onto something. There's another part of him that kind of resists it because the KKK is the only place he's ever belonged, like truly belonged. So it's a really interesting movie. And, you know, for, I'm not spoiling anything for anybody who has ever, you know, read about the real life friendship between Ann Atwater and C.P. Ellis. Um, C.P. Ellis, during the final vote to integrate the schools, C.P. Ellis actually gets up um, at the vote, the council meeting, when they're voting, he gets up to the podium to cast his vote and he very famously rips up his KKK membership card. And, you know, ever since then, you know, for, for years beyond that, you know, in, beyond 1970, they would actually, they actually went on tours. They did like a speaking tour where they talked about, you know, race relations in the United States and how communities can come together and really, you know, talk to each other and, and listen to each other and get to know each other. Because that's what happened with them, you know, being in this workshop for a week or two, not only with other members of the community, but with each other. I mean, there was a point where the guy who led these workshops was, um, a black man from Chicago. And, um, he, one of the exercises he did to kind of get people to kind of see each other in different lights was every day they all had lunch together in the cafeteria. He would have a black person and a white person assigned seating so that they would be sitting next to a different person every day. So they wouldn't be sitting in their own little cliques, you know, white and black. They would have to sit next to a person of a different color. And he kind of had a feeling that C.P. Ellis and Ann Atwater would actually get along if they actually 
if, if they talk were kind of to interact and talk. Yeah. yeah. So he actually sat them next to each other. And, and over the course of these weeks, they really got to know each other and, and see things from each other's point of view. That so. sounds, I, I would actually have liked to have seen it. I just, I don't remember if I was either writing, I had something that I was doing yeah. and I'm just like, I don't have the time to watch it I think you would have right liked now. it. I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm not a huge, I mean, I like Sam Rockwell, but I'm not like a huge fan of his. But he was excellent in this movie, and so uh, was Taraji really P. Good act- he's a really good actor. Yeah, Sam they Rockwell were both is. excellent. In and this. so is Ms. Henson. I'm not going to try to <laughs> mispronounce her first name again. I'm so sorry about that, Ms. Henson, again, for doing that to you. <laughs> they were both excellent. Friend of the so. show, Ms. Ms. Henson. <laughs> Friend of the show. <laughs> she just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> she will be. Uh, so good. So you, you, you generally like that one? I did. I really, li- I really liked it. All right. I liked it a lot. Uh, and I guess the next movie in, in the, that we watched is the first one that we watched together is sort of, I guess, part of our social consciousness tour that, that yeah, we're doing there, here. Yeah, we had a few of them that were like that, yeah. Uh, but we watched Green Book, and this was an Oscar-winning movie. Mahershala Ali won for Best Supporting Actor, which is funny because he's kind of a co-lead character in the movie, but... He, <laughs> There, there are some issues with this, and, and we'll get to those right away. A couple of things. People say it's one of the worst movies to, to win Oscars, and uh, I, I don't necessarily think that I agree with that. I, I think uh, the complaints are that it treats uh, racism very simplistically, and that it's just like uh, a movie that white people can watch to absolve themselves of having any bad feelings about race what? relations. And uh, then th- perhaps the most concerning thing is that the family of Dr. Shirley says that the relationship between him and the driver who was played by Viggo Mortensen was not as it was portrayed in the movie, that this was just kind of a job this guy did and that it wasn't nearly as deep of a connection as they tried to make it be. Plus, the writer of the movie, the screenwriter, was the son of Viggo Mortensen's character. So it has a little bit of baggage with it. Now, I really, I thought it was excellent. I mean, I really liked it and... I don't think it treated race in a simplistic nature. I think people think that race is more dramatic in real life than it is or that it needs to be. And Bigo Mortens' character was a product of his time. He was an Italian that grew up in New York. And at that time, the Italians were really competing with the blacks for jobs, for everything. And I think his kind of, I wouldn't say it's necessarily racism, but I think his misunderstanding misconceptions of, about things yeah, yeah. of black people kind of came from that environment that he grew up in. But when he started working for Dr. Shirley, he really had no problems with him necessarily. I mean, there really wasn't, I mean, he didn't quite understand black culture to the point that I think Dr. Shirley thought he should, but at the same time, they were from completely different worlds, but that didn't mean that they couldn't get along. And that's really what ended up happening is they just, they found a whole nother way to communicate other than black and and white, you know, employee, employer. and, And it's kind of funny because Dr. Shirley is the intelligent one the cultured one kind of as they get along together Viggo Mortensen finds out you know he's hanging out with the help and stuff you know they're playing dice because he he relates to those people uh maybe better at first than he does with Dr. Shirley but then their friendship grows and they start to understand each other I mean some people call this the the worst movie to win best picture in the history of the Academy Awards 
Really? Yeah. Yeah. There, it, there was a big backlash against this. I remember when, uh, during the Oscar telecast, they showed a shot of Spike Lee, whose movie Black Klansman, and it covered a lot of the same issues as this movie. They showed a shot of him after that movie was announced, and he's just like, you got to be kidding me that this is the one that you're going to give it to. You know, after seeing it, I, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, I'm just a guy from the Midwest, and mm-hmm. I like a I like a decent movie, and I thought they had good chemistry with the characters. I thought it was an interesting story. Did it delve, like, get deep into the weeds on, like, the reasons behind racism and stuff in America? No, but I thought it was, an, you know, it was a good movie about this relationship between these two people. Now... If that relationship has been a little bit fabricated is not the word I'm, I'm looking for, but I'll, I'll say that. If, if that relationship has been exaggerated a little bit, maybe, um, in the historical record, I, I don't know. But, you know, I, I thought it was... Uh, Viggo Mortensen was very entertaining in that. Marshall yeah. Ali, very worthy and deserving of his Oscar. I just, I hate it when people say, you know, a lot of people worked hard on that movie to, to make it, and for people to say it's the worst of the Oscar best pictures, I, I just, I don't understand. I watched it, and, you know, was it the best movie, the most out-of-body experience that I've ever had transcendentally watching a movie? No, but I thought it was a solid film, and I could see where the Academy liked it. And it had good performances, uh, yeah. had good production values. I mean, even, even uh, you know, it's we're not talking about an Avengers movie, so I don't mind a little spoiler, but, you know, they're trying to get home. He takes this job as Dr. Shirley's driver with the understanding that he'll be home by Christmas. And it gets very close to Christmas, and they, they finally do. They have to drive through, like, this terrible snowstorm, but they finally do make it home for Christmas. And he's with his, uh, Tony's with his family, and... You know, there's a knock on the door, and it's Dr. Shirley who has this, like, mansion, but kind of is by himself, and he's dropped by to spend Christmas with, you know, Tony's family, and I just thought that was, I thought that was really cool. I mean, is it a little, is it a little schmaltzy? Yeah, yeah. but I like that, because it showed some growth from both those characters. And that's very true, because, you know, both of those guys were basically almost playing opposite of the stereotype. And, of course, it's based on a real-life, um, I, mean, I will you, say, you can't adventure. Just, yeah, <laughs> so, you, you can't deny the fact that this guy drove relationship. Yeah. Dr. Shirley around and that they had – the Green Book is this thing in the South that they have for artists and such that says, hey, these are places that are safe for, for you to go people, for blacks. Yeah. Uh, because it wasn't always that way, especially in the South. Well, and it, and you see, you know, as they're driving, sometimes, you know, they would get pulled over by police. Just because, to get pulled over. Well, because they were in what they called sundowner towns, mm-hmm. which means that the blacks couldn't be out after sundown or they would risk, you know, running into the KKK. They would risk lynching. It was it was it was pretty rough in the South for them. Even to travel, just to travel, you know, musicians especially, because, you know, these musicians are, you know, hailed as, you know, rock and roll gods or, you know, like Donald Shirley, you know, Dr. Shirley, they are, you know, geniuses. Yeah, but virtuoso whenever, piano player. But whenever, you know, they go someplace like a hotel or they're just driving down the road in a sundowner town, they are nothing but a black American. They're not even, they don't even consider them citizens. They're just a black American. Well, they were really excited at this one club, and I forget what town they were in, but they were really excited at this one club to have him there for a Christmas concert. And he was the headliner of the Christmas concert, and they gave him a closet to change in, you know, as his dressing room. And then when he wanted to eat before the performance, 
They said, okay, yeah, you can eat, but you got to take it back to your closet. That's your dressing room. You can't eat out in the main dining room. Yeah, he couldn't eat in the main dining room. And this this was their featured entertainer that people had paid to come and go see because he's such a great piano player, but they wouldn't let him eat in the dining room with everybody else in the club because he was black. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was, I, I thought it was very truthful to the period and what they would have gone through as far as, you know, uh, following the green book. I thought the writer, um, who obviously was Tony's son that you were just talking mm-hmm. about not too long ago. Um, he was very truthful about his father. You know, his father was kind of a thug. He was just a mafia guy, he more was or less. A thug. You know? He worked at the Copa, and when the Copa went out of, um, basically was closed down for remodeling, he took this job as a he driver. Need to, to make money. Yeah, for, as a driver for Dr. Shirley. And as he went on this tour through the South, and he kind of, they needed. Uh, Dr. Shirley not only needed a driver, but he needed somebody who could be kind of like his protector. Yeah, because they knew where he was. The places that he was going were not going to be the best places for yeah. people of his skin color. So they wanted somebody to be kind of a kind of at least put off the the aura of a tough guy. Yes, and it's so great because you know, like the example of when they stop at that roadside place and he grabs a geode that he found on the ground, but it was really. <laughs> you know, a rock that the store was selling, it just had happened to fall on the ground. And when Dr. Shirley kind of called him out on it and said, hey, you stole that rock, he was like, no, it was on the ground. You know, he was, the son was very truthful about who his father was, how his father, you know, made his living and and what kind of a personality he had. You know, he was kind of a rough around the edges type of guy. And here he was driving this very sophisticated, college-educated black man. It was just kind of a really interesting um, meeting of, you know, two different people. And Dr. Shirley really comes to respect Viggo Mortensen's character as a person. You know, he realizes he's a really good person. You know, he, he can be honest when he wants to be, but... You know, he is a little bit rough around the edges. He's kind yeah, of a thug. I think he, he comes does, to admire that honesty He of does him. what he can to get by, you know. And then, you know, and of course, Viggo Mortensen, he basically just thinks Donald Shirley is so smart. And he just really loves, you know, his music. I mean, he'll stand, he stands there and listens to him play at all of his concerts. You know, he thinks, you know, he's just great. So. I liked I liked how Dr. Shirley helped him with his letters from back home. Yes, to his wife. That was cute. <laughs> so sweet. And she knew the whole time. Oh, you she know? knew, yeah. Yeah. It was <laughs> did, really... What did she say? Thank you for at helping the end, with the letters yeah, or something? Yeah, at the end, yeah. she hugged him and she said, thanks for helping him with the letters. You know, like she whispered it into his ear. It was really cute. I also yeah. liked that the one time they got in trouble and he implied that he had a gun. Then you, you find, you know, he said, no, I don't, I don't have a gun. And then later he does have a gun and the guy's like, I knew you had a gun. <laughs> you really need to see it. It's really, it's a really good movie. I liked it. I mean, was I surprised it won the Academy Award? Yes, but not for the reasons that they had said. Yeah, there there were some good there was some good competition this year uh, in that category for sure. But again, I mean, I found it to be a perfectly enjoyable movie. Was it life changing? As I said, no. was it a transcendental movie? You know, it it wasn't, but it it was still good, and I, I thought it had a nice message for it. And anymore, I just I I guess I do get tired of sometimes criticism and and I know things can go deeper and and really get into the psychology of things and things like that. But I just, I don't like it when 
there's something that just does have a good message and we have to try to poke holes at the movie you know just to just to make it lesser and like i said it was it was an enjoyable movie i know my parents watched it they enjoyed it and uh it had some good humor in it oh yeah you know and it it, it didn't it didn't gloss over social issues. It didn't, but again, it didn't get as deep into them as, as it probably could have. I mean, the, the story really is about the relationship between the two guys. And really That's nothing what's at the heart of it. overly dramatic happens. You know, it's really just a relationship type movie. Nothing really dramatic happens. And yeah. I think maybe that's why people are just like, well, it's just kind of run of the mill. You know, it kind of dances around the really hard issues of racism and just because a black person and a white person get along in real life and form a relationship and nothing dramatic happens. I, I, again, I, I think it's a perfectly inoffensive movie. Maybe that's why some people don't like it. Maybe they think it needs to be an offensive movie. You know what I mean? You know, sure. really confront these things head kind on and, 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 and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, but no, I, I enjoyed Green Book. Uh, the third movie that we watched was The Girl in the Spider's Web, which is sort of a sequel, but not really, but sort of. Oh. To the girl in uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Of course, the original had Rooney Mara. This one is it Claire Foy, uh, is from the Crown that yes. was in this, and uh, then also not Daniel Craig. <laughs> no Daniel Craig in this one. Some random person we don't even know is like probably. he has very little screen presence. You wouldn't even think he's playing the same character. He's supposed to be was it Michael? Michael Bloomfist. Yeah, and uh, it's just like this guy with hair and he just sort of shows up and has very little screen presence and then there's there's really i mean i think steven merchants in the movie but there i look through the cast list again there's like nobody in it that that i recognize it feels this was a major release but it feels like something that should have gone straight to dvd if you can if you can tell of the movies that we watched this was my least favorite one and i liked um i have not seen the original was it the swedish swedish movies the trilogy that they did a few years ago i loved it and uh, I thought the American adaptation of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was a solid movie. It was good. Very and, good. And, uh, again, Rooney Mara and, and um, had Stellan Skarsgård, yes. I think, in that one. And Daniel Craig. And it, 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 was, it was a solid movie. It underperformed at the box office, even though it had all these big stars in it and was from material that was very popular at the time. It uh, didn't do what they quite kind of wanted to do. But I don't see how a movie like that would have been a big... Uh, big money maker anyway, because that's a t- it's a tough movie to watch. Yeah, you know it's good, but it's it's tough. It's not one that people are gonna go to the theater and see time and time again. I don't know if they were thinking it would win awards or you know something like a Silence of the Lambs or whatever, but it underperformed. So so uh, they sort of rebooted it in a way with uh, this new version. Uh, again, they recast. Oh, what's her name? Liz Salander. What's her name, Anne? Elizabeth Salander. Yeah, they recast her. And uh, they recast everybody, and I, I don't know what you can you can probably tell by the way I'm leading into this movie that it was not my favorite of of <laughs> the ones that we watched. And why don't you give us your thoughts on it? I liked it as far as like the actual story goes. I mean, I'm with you. I I love Claire Foy, and she did really a great job in this movie, considering all the action and everything that was in it. You know, the stunt work and stuff. Oh, yeah. She did a great yeah. job. I just felt like, like you said, I feel like the casting was lackluster. Some of the performance was lackluster. It was an interesting movie uh, from someone like me who's seen the original. Uh, uh, Swedish version. I almost said Swedish version. Swedish. Swedish version. uh, With with Naomi Rapisi. 
But because I've seen the first three of yeah, I saw the three. Were, of were the... those all on Netflix for a time? Yes. And they may still be. I don't know. Yeah. But they rotate stuff in and out. Yes. And um, I've tried to read the books, but they're always on. They're always checked out at the library. Oh, they're always on hold. Oh yeah. They're well, that's very a very popular. popular. Steve Larson, I think, is the author. Yes. He's... And he's passed away, but they've continued it with some yes. different people. Um, and, and is this one, uh, Girl in the Spider's Web? Is this one of the ones that was not written by him? I think so. Think so because um, I know that I really liked. You know, I really liked Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and the uh, the girl who played with fire was good. Was the other one kicked the hornet's nest? Yes, yes, the girl who kicked the hornet's nest. Those movies were wonderful, and I really liked the one with Rooney Mara and Daniel Craig. I didn't think it was as good as, of course, the Swedish version, but it was good. The Girl in the Spider's Web was great in that it continued the story of Elizabeth Salander that started in the first three movies, you know, the Swedish movies, with her dad and the Russian mafia and all that, but it just... I don't know. It just fell short. It was just missing something. In the performance department, I think. And it didn't have any kinetic momentum to it. To me, it felt really slow. I was very bored at times, especially in the times that you shouldn't be bored. In the last uh, about 40 minutes of the movie, that's when a, a movie like this, this is kind of an action movie. It's not an action movie, but a thriller should really start to pick up the pace and really get you on edge. And I was just bored to tears. Uh, they had that guy, I can't remember if he was from the CIA or the NSA that had uh, realized that that program had been stolen and he traveled from the U.S. over into Europe. Oh, he was from the NSA. NSA. And um, there were long stretches of time where I'm like, is this character in here for any reason? Oh, my God. You felt like it was happening in real time, too. You were just like, why is this going so slow? Although there were some pretty funny moments. Like the time she were tricked there? You'll him. Were there? You'll have to remind me of like- those. <laughs> Like the time she tricked him uh, into her location, he got bamboozled. You don't remember that? No, I don't. It's a very forgettable movie, apparently. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, although there's some good motorcycle work from uh, from our cyber hacker in there. Uh, she's smart. I mean, the one thing I do like about those movies is the heroine is super smart. And they're very well written. I think in many ways they're they're just so well written. It's just you really have to be able to pull it off with the acting and everything has to come together to make those movies really come to life. Otherwise, they can get kind of long and involved and boring. And I, I, like I said, I, I didn't fall asleep during it, but I, I was definitely doing some phone, picked up the phone and looking at stuff because I just it just would not didn't do it for me. And that happens sometimes. You have any more to say about the girl in the spider's web would you say overall just kind of disappointing yeah it was it was disappointing i was hoping for a better movie especially as someone who has enjoyed the other right movies yeah. especially the swedish ones i was really hoping for a better at, uh, adaptation and i really like claire foy so i mean like i said she was great but sometimes i think some of the other characters in the movie weren't as good and and there was a, some confusing little plot points that maybe if i watched it again but you would have to tie me to a chair to watch it again uh <laughs> if if i watched it again maybe i'd i'd pick up on or maybe it's cuz i was looking at my phone and i wasn't paying attention so there was a subtle little twist that i didn't well, get well and it's been it's been a while you since you've seen the girl with the dragon tattoo yeah it's been a while there's time. also if you haven't seen the other two movies 
there are a few things that are kind of lost. So does this work better as a sequel to the three original Swedish movies than it does as a reboot or continuation of the U.S. version of those? I would say yes. Okay. That is correct. Well, there's a lot of misery in those movies. And I I really do like the Liz Salander character. I think she's really cool. Oh, she's wonderful. I love how she's no-nonsense. She's so well-written. Tries to do the right thing. She's hyper-competent. She's scrappy. You know, if she gets in a situation, she figures out a way to get out of it. And I, I do like her and I admire that and about props the character. to Claire Foy for trying to have a little bit of a Swedish accent. I love it. Yeah. I, that I, was I don't think fun. she was a problem with the movie. I really don't. Just the movie itself was not good. Sometimes you have a good performance yeah. in a bad movie or a boring movie. And I think that's what happened in this case. Next on our DVD rack from the video store was Searching with John Cho and uh, this was an interesting one. Um, I'd heard some good things about it. Did well kind of in the independent film circuit and things. And it's, it's, it's about a, a father whose daughter disappears. And he's trying to figure out what happened to her. And uh, the unique thing about it is that it's all done through, like, Facebook, Internet, connected cameras and everything. There's not any, like, real action. Everything that you see is happening on a computer screen. It's a really inventive way to tell a story. It is. It truly is. And they set up some intriguing mysteries in the movie, and everything pays off in the end. Yes. And, um, yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic, especially as it was sort of the throwaway movie that we got as, you know, you, you rent three, you get a fourth one free, okay, yeah, I guess we'll go ahead and get searching. And I'd wanted to watch it, because I had heard good things about it, but Anne was like, ah, I don't want to watch it tonight. So we didn't watch it the one night. But then we, we finally did kind of get as as you've probably felt on the podcast sometimes and and myself uh this applies to me as well we got to be in the mood for something <laughs> and a fan's not in the mood for something that that you know you're gonna have to pay a lot of attention to that's gonna have like some some tense moments and things like that then we're gonna watch something else we'll pop in a couple episodes of seinfeld instead and but no we watched searching and it like i said it was a very inventive way to do a movie i've always liked john cho i gotta tell you um, time goes by fast because when he was in the J.J. Abrams reboot of Star Trek back in 2009, you know, I've always, plus he was in the Harold and Kumar movies, so I've always kind of seen him as this younger guy. I looked it up, he's 47 years old now. Oh, yeah. And I had no idea um, that he was he was that old. Uh, he doesn't really, he, he looks at in Searching, it's probably the first movie I've seen him where he looks a little bit older. And I'm not disparaging him in any way. I've just, I thought he was, I've always seen him as this younger guy. And, but when I saw him in Star Trek in 2009, he would have been 37 years old because that was 10 years ago that that movie was released, the J.J. Abrams reboot. So, I mean, kind of mind blown on that one. But he drives this movie and he is so good in it. Yeah, it was excellent. I was really impressed with it. I, I It was a sleeper out of all the movies that we got. It was a true... A lot of twists and turns, and even paying attention to it, uh, I think the pieces are there. But even paying uh, hyper attention to it, it's it's kind of hard to figure out what the the twist is at the end. We won't spoil it, but let's just say some people that uh, are not as they appear to be. And uh, you know, I just I was I was shocked by the ending of that. Yes, I really was too. Because I'm one of those people that as I go, I'm trying to figure things out, and I would not have figured that out. No, that was not where I thought that was going to go. I thought it was going to go the other direction of really bad things having happened. And bad things did happen. There's no doubt about bad things happening in that movie, but it actually has a fairly 
uplifting resolution to it um, that you wouldn't have expected. But it, it's interesting because uh, his daughter disappears. So John Cho, you know, he's trying to get in with the police, trying to they organize searches and stuff. And, you know, there, there's a movement on Twitter and, you know, find the daughter. And, and then there's some people criticizing him. And, and Hashtag the dad did yeah, it. Yeah, you know? the dad did it and, and bad dad and, and all that stuff, just like we would get in, in, in culture today when anything bad happens. And, you know, then people on the Internet start to point the finger at the dad. We're pretty convinced the dad did it. And some things don't add up. And, uh, you know, it's it's really interesting. And then uh, since he had ac- he didn't have access to his daughter's accounts, you know, he reset the passwords. So he was able to track some of her financial stuff and track some of her social media activity. He found out that, you know, she didn't necessarily have a secret life. Like she wasn't necessarily hiding it from him. But she was doing, she had, you know, she was kind of a, uh, not a YouTube celebrity, it was a different uh, website, but she was basically doing video chats uh, online and talked about herself and her aspirations and stuff like that. And he had no idea that she was doing these sort of things that made him feel very, very bad because he felt like he didn't know his daughter very well. And uh, he'd been giving her money for piano lessons because she was a very talented musician but he found out she was not using that money for her piano lessons, even though she said she was. She was using it for something else. And you think it's nefarious, and then you realize at the end that it's not necessarily nefarious, but it certainly does look nefarious as you're going through the movie. So uh, it is really edge of your seat, uh, no matter how much you pay attention. Maybe you, maybe you watch it, maybe you're, you're smarter than us, and you, you get the twist and everything. But I just thought it was solid and um, really enjoyable movie. And I was reading uh, this week, they're, they're getting the, the writer and the director together again. They want to do a sequel to it. Now, it probably won't feature the John Cho character uh, because that story has been told. I don't think there's anything more they can do with it. But they could certainly take another character and do another movie that's kind of like this. Because uh, it's really neat. I mean, all the, all the action that you see comes from, you know, web-based surveillance cameras or the, the chat the, the, the chat camera that you have on a computer, there's a lot of teleconferencing and FaceTiming and, and stuff like that. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely a movie of the 2010s, I guess, uh, just because of the way they utilize the technology, and I think they did a really neat job. It was that. really well done. Uh, the final movie on our list from our video store is On the Basis of Sex, and this is about young Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she's played by Felicity Jones in this movie. And then her husband, whose name escapes me, is Army Hammer. I just know him as Army Hammer. So, <laughs> sorry about that. I always want to say it's Mo Ginsburg, but that's not right. <laughs> Was that the name of, like, uh, one of the one of the guys in The Godfather or something? I think you're thinking of Mo Green. Mo Green, Mo Green. Why do I think Mo Ginsburg? I, I think... Didn't George Costanza say that he got a suit from Mo Ginsburg? <gasps> That's what I was thinking of. Okay, yeah, it's a designer. Yeah. Okay, I'm like, why do I think of Mo I think it's the, the episode where he meets the woman on the train and she thinks he's like some big retail stockbroker. Yeah. And, of course, it all comes back to it all, Seinfeld. It all comes back to Seinfeld for us. Do, 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 do. <laughs> uh, but on the basis of sex tells the, the story of the young Ruth Bader Ginsburg and kind of her... Not necessarily rise to prominence, but sort of also her rise to prominence. It's the pre-Supreme Court era for her, and it is really how she used the how she looked at different cases uh, 
and was able to try to turn the tables on maybe sex-based or gender-based discrimination in the U.S. and how she used the laws to her advantage in order to do that. Is this probably her most famous case, or at least the one that put her on the map? Yeah, that's really how she came to the attention of President Carter, and he uh, appointed her to the, I think she went, uh, the Court of Appeals? Prob- yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, um, and eventually she became a Supreme Court Justice under Clinton, was that she really became famous for doing, uh, taking gender bias cases and basically arguing, you know, um, equality, like gender equality. Yeah, all the gender should be, you know, treated equally under the eyes yeah, of the law. Yeah, but she had a number of cases under her belt. Um, she just kept taking, once she got on a roll, you know, like in the 60s and 70s, I mean, she really just was taking one after another after another because, you know, she knew that it was one of those where she, if she just kept taking cases, then eventually, you know, they could slowly but surely start overturning laws and making a change right if we, we if we can get this one precedent set then we can start bringing you know kind of knocking down these other dominoes and it's neat because the one uh the one case that really uh starts it all is the one um with the gentleman who is basically they're accusing him of tax fraud because he is claiming um a caregiver expense for his mother. He is a bachelor who stays at home and is caring for his elderly mother. And I think you get like a, don't you get like a, uh, a break? Yeah. There, there was some, yeah. Yeah. There's some sort of, or you could expense that stuff and, and it wouldn't be taxed. Yes. And, but they were, on him in that, you know, men aren't caregivers. Right, and they, they were calling him a tax cheat because they, of yeah, this. Yeah, they can't be caregivers, you know, so how is, you know, how is that? And so Ruth Ginsburg, her husband Martin. Martin. Martin there Ginsburg. Um, her husband Martin brings this to her attention because he's a very well-known tax lawyer in New York. And he basically says, hey, you want to take on a gender case? Here's one for you. You know, but you're telling it from a man's point of view. If you're telling it from a man's point of view, men, especially men who are judges, will more likely listen to this than a woman's case. Where they, they would be just dismissive of anything. Exactly. Be, well, and, and they would be dismissive of it, and more importantly, they couldn't relate to it. Exactly. Whereas with a man, there was, there was something more that they could relate to. And so, yeah, so they, they they took that case and people were like, ah, I don't think this is a good idea. But then she convinces the, the you know, the law firm to get in on it and her, her husband and, and encourages her to do it. And, you know, it, the whole, the, the funny thing about it is, is that the first, the case that's focused on in, in this movie is a case involving a man. But really the, the ultimate goal is to, to kind of bring gender equality into uh, mostly for women obviously because in that era there was not a whole lot of you know equal pay and equal rules and stuff like that and so very cleverly i think they use this case of a man being discriminated against based on his gender to try to 
um, set a better world for women in the future. Yeah, basically argue gender equality for everyone. Yeah, that you couldn't discriminate on the basis of sex, yes. uh, which is where the title of the movie comes from. There's a great scene toward the end where they go to the appeals court, and this is a woman who's always together with stuff, but she sort of unravels a little bit, or you think she's unraveling a little bit, and then she pulls it together at at, you know, at the end of, of it and, and yeah. everything. Because she's, she's a great... Uh, she's known to be great in court uh, when yeah. she uh, argues in front of, of justices and everything. And it's pretty satisfying because the the people who are kind of uh, going uh, against the guy that she's uh, supporting, you know, they're, they're kind of getting all smarmy and self-satisfied and, and stuff. And then she just drops the hammer on them. And it's it's terrific. <laughs> yeah, the notorious, the RBG. notorious RBG, which is a, a documentary that's really good about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, it was excellent. And um, you know, we've we talked about it on this show before several several episodes ago. We've been doing this for a while now, uh, several episodes ago, and that's a great documentary. So uh, this was a good compliment to that because they delved into this case during the documentary, and this is a dramatization, obviously. But it, it's nice to get a little bit more context uh, of this. And then, boy, that CGI at the end when they turned Felicity Jones into Ruth Bader Ginsburg was amazing. It was. <laughs> I'm kidding. They didn't turn Felicity <laughs> Jones. They actually used Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So Yeah, they basically, it was so neat because they had her going up the courtroom, the court steps, and then when she gets to the top, she's... The real Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> so it was really amazing. And just to think we have someone like her who's still living, you know, who's still around and, and she's still working. I mean, that's what's amazing about her. And, and if you ever read anything about her, I mean, how she finds the time in one day to do all the stuff that she does. I mean, she was a wife. She was a mother. You know, she was, you know, she read court cases. I mean, at, at one point, you know, her, when her husband had cancer, uh, her husband had testicular cancer in the 50s when they were in law school together. And she went to her classes and his classes. And she had a toddler at home and a sick husband. And still she wrote all of his papers, all of her papers, he was a tax lawyer, so she was helping him with his work. Not her area I mean, of expertise, but she yeah, could still I mean, do it. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing because, I mean, she is truly a role model. She, I mean, she has earned amazing. her place as a as a cultural icon. She here really in has, history. and I'm I'm so happy to know that, especially people even younger than me and my husband. I mean, they consider her. They need an to know icon. about her. Because uh, just incredible, what, what, whatever side of the political spectrum you fall on, she's an amazing individual. She's cool. Being she's her age awesome. and everything, and as long as she's been on that court. And, I mean, even as Anne was talking, the stuff from school, and then she kind of, you know, they told her they could, she couldn't have a Harvard Law degree because she wouldn't be taking the, the courses. Oh, yeah. Her husband, after uh, he had cancer... Her husband moved to New York. He got a, a job. He had graduated. But she was, uh, I think she was like a year or two behind yeah, him. Yep. And so he had graduated. He was taking a job in New York. And she wanted to basically finish up her law degree from New York. She wanted to get a Harvard law degree. And they told her that she had to stay at Harvard. They had to stay in Boston to finish her law degree. They would not let her do it. Uh, even, even though they had let other people let do other that people for other it. reasons. 
but they wouldn't let her because, you know, it was one of those two where, you know, this guy was very, they had just let women into Harvard law and really women had to prove themselves because, you know, it was one of those where, you know, why are you here taking the place that could right. have been given to a man? It wasn't know? welcome to Harvard. Congratulations. You know, welcome to no. law school. And then even the dean, you know, remember even the, the dean when they had that big social at the beginning of the year and they invited all the new uh, new members of the law review. Um, even the dean's wife was against women going right to law school. And, and the question was, wasn't why do you want to be a lawyer? It was... Why are you here? Why should you be here instead of a, a the guy I whose mean, place you're blank, taking? He said, that. "Yeah, point point blank." And even she said in the documentary that that happened. Yeah, you know, yep. she I remember was, that clearly. She from said, the documentary. "I was completely stunned. I didn't even know what to say." I mean, she said, "You know, everybody expects you to be like this good little housewife. Why would?" a woman want to go to school? Why would a woman want to get a law degree? But she faced a lot of challenges, especially after she graduated. You know, no lawyer, no law firm would hire her because she was a woman. You know, she was seen as, you know, they asked her, you know, they said, well, we can't hire you as a lawyer, but we can put you in the secretarial pool. Jeez. Gee, thanks, guys. And if you heard that, that was the sound of me rolling my eyes. So that that's on the basis of sex. Highly recommend it. No explosions, no car chases. And of course, no Army chases, Hammer but... is like total stud muffin. I, and as Anne and I discussed after the movie, and like, I just don't understand why this guy's not a bigger star. It's not like he's not on the map, but like, I think he's superstar quality. He's got the build, he's got the looks, he's got charm and charisma, but... And he's Ar a good actor. He's a good actor, but Army Hammer never has broken out into that big role that people associate him with. I don't know if it's because of the Lone Ranger or what. Oh, I hope it's not because of Lone Ranger. That would be sad. And he's so good in the social network that several years ago, but he, he played the Winklevoss twins. He's so good in that, and then he was great in this movie. So more Army Hammer. The more Army Hammer, the better. On the basis of sex again, no car chases, no explosions, <laughs> no gunfire, but it's really, really good. All right, Anne, so perhaps the most important part of the show now, Anne, I want to hear your power rankings of the five movies that we watched. What order would you rank them in? I would say uh, Searching, number one. Okay. Best of Enemies, number two. Uh, Green Book, number three. On the Basis of Sex, number four. And The Girl in the Spider's Web, down at the bottom. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say number five. Now, my power rankings only have four movies because I did not see The Best of Enemies. My favorite was Searching. I... I just really thought that was a great movie. The second one, on the basis of sex, I, because I, I, I don't, I may have enjoyed that movie more than you did. Uh, I really enjoyed watching that movie. Uh, Green Book is third, and I would say they're all kind of in the same area code. They're all good movies. I enjoyed watching them. I'd watch them again. And then, if you looked at my power rankings list, you would see a large gap between those three movies. <laughs> And in then the show notes, yeah. At, at the very bottom, the girl in the spider's web at the bottom. You should put that on the website so everybody can see what it looks like. I should. Uh, I actually should have put the unranked movie in between the the large gap there because I'm sure it was better, or that I would have enjoyed it more than the girl in the spider's web. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's our trip to the video store, family video located there at uh, what Thompson and Arlington. Here in uh, on the south side, sort of Beach Grove-ish 
but not quite Beach Grove, and that's one of our fun places to go, although it is always extraordinarily warm in there. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because that big window's there and it gets a lot of sun, but I always get warm inside there. Maybe they just don't want you to browse for a long time. They want to get you in and get you out. Highly recommended. Uh, we do love the business, and we hope they'll... I, I know that uh, video stores have been struggling in the last decade, you know, thanks to Netflix and stuff like that. So uh, we do enjoy going there. It's uh, fairly inexpensive. They do a lot of coupon stuff. And, you know, we, we forgot last time the Zoo Book coupon that we have for rent one, get one. But the thing is, we tried to use that the other time a, a month or so ago that we went to the video store and got a few movies. But the coupon didn't apply because we ended up doing the three, rent three, get one free. So, you know, I guess if you're going to use the coupon, just go rent two movies. Coupon. Coupon. All right. Now, and that was the most important part of the podcast. Now I want you to talk about uh, us versus the pop socket. <laughs> I don't know why, but for some reason, I was really interested in pop sockets and... I'm one of those people that I'm really clumsy. Like I will drop my phone quite often and I have like a phone wallet, but sometimes I don't always, you know, uh, keep my wallet on my phone just cause it's kind of cumbersome. And, and so I'll take it out of the phone wallet and just kind of be holding it or just, you know, have it, you know, naked. I call it naked. <laughs> Um, and I thought, well, this would be great to try because, you know, I've heard good things about the pop sockets. And maybe explain what a pop socket is it's for the people little, who don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. It's that little, uh, it's almost like a knobby looking mm -hmm. thing yeah. that adheres to the back of your phone and it pops out and it basically creates like a little. Like a handle. Like a little handle on the back of your phone so you can hold on to your phone better and they come in like different colors they have all kinds of really fun like designs there's like unicorns and puppies and all kinds of like glitter and stuff and and i saw them recently at staples when we were there i was like oh i'd like to try that and matt was like oh well i'll get you one i'll bring you one home and so yeah we, we had gotten a, a few at work and they were just sitting in a drawer not being used so I'm like, instead of spending however much it was at Staples, I don't know. And of know. course it didn't have glitter on it. It didn't it was have black, glitter. It was just but, black. You know. It was boring like your, like your husband. <laughs> but I was really impressed with it. Um, I stuck it to the back of my phone. I have like a Galaxy S9 uh, Plus. S9 Plus and purple, I believe. It's purple, yes. Mine's blue. And um, I stuck it to the back of my phone. The adhesive is actually really good. Like you can get it off if you need to. But as far as like, you know, you just turn it upside down and hold it by the handle. And I mean, it doesn't pop off. I mean, it's, it was very, I mean, it held really well on the pop socket. Cause basically what you do is you peel off like the, it's like a plastic area on the bottom where there's like this glue or sticky, it's almost like a sticky substance. Yeah. I don't know and adhesive of some it. sort. Yeah. It's like a little glue gel stuff and you press it onto the back of your phone and it's supposed to like stay on there. And I mean, you could turn your phone upside down any, any way you want it. And it actually holds really well. I was really impressed by that. And the, uh, the knob will either flex in so that it's flat against the phone or you can pull it out or 
pop it out. <laughs> Thus, so that, pop socket. Pop socket. So that you can pull it out and then you can hold, you know, your phone by the handle or like kind of maybe fit it in between your fingers while you wrap your hand around your phone. Just so that for some reason you don't, you know, the phone doesn't slip out of your hands. Because that's one of the things people have trouble with nowadays, especially if you don't have a case on your phone or you don't have a gripper on your phone. Um, it's very easy to like drop your phone. It's hard to hold on to. They're very slick. Especially the, the glass backed phones. And a lot of them are. And then some, sometimes the plastic ones are easier to, yes. to hold uh, because they have a little more grip to them. But the, the glass ones, which the S nines are glass back. And so, and being a little butter fingery sometimes <laughs> wanted to try out the pop socket. So generally speaking, it, it held well. Uh, you liked it. I did. I really liked it. It was good. The only drawback to it, and of course for Matt, this was a complete Th- deal breaker. This was blasphemy to me. This is this is a, a pop socket will never find its way onto my phone. This is a complete deal breaker is that we have a wireless charger. You can't put the phone on the wireless charger because the pop socket interferes. Yeah, it, it will not let you charge it with the pop socket yeah. on. Yeah. Which means you pretty much have to make a choice. And that choice is pop socket or wireless charging. And my decision, if I were in the case, I would never be in this position, <laughs> mind you. Uh, but if I had to be, I would. I would go. I'm team wireless charging. I would not want to give that up. Yeah. Where did Where did even, you end up falling? Even though I really love the pop socket, I ended up becoming team wireless charger too because I just really love the convenience of my wireless charger. It charges my phone really well. It's just a nice convenience to have. So it kind of it was close, but it it outweighed the pop socket. It was close though. It, it was, was close. because I, I I told Anne and I was not like. Well, I guess I was sort of pushing her in one direction, but <laughs> I didn't necessarily mean to, but I'm like, that's the choice you have to make. Do you want the wireless charging or do you want the pop socket? And like I said, I would never fall on the side of pop socket. I would want the wireless charging because when you when you go to sleep at night, you put your phone down on the wireless charger. If you need to check it at night or something or in the morning before you get up, you don't have to unhook it mess around with the cord or accidentally pull the cord from the wall because your your phone's not attached to a power cord. To me, that is worth, it's very valuable. I have a charging easel at work that I bought for like 15 bucks. It's a wireless charger. It's a little stand. You just put your phone down in it and you can charge it. That's really nice. I've got a wireless charger upstairs next to my bed. I've got a wireless charger down here that we didn't think worked anymore because Anne was having trouble with her phone and it just charges really, really slow. But if I'm at home down here in what we call the man cave and I want to charge my phone, I can also charge uh, wirelessly down here. And then Anne, we've replaced that that one for Anne upstairs. And that's a pretty good wireless charger now that we've got up there for you. It works pretty well. But, you know, last night I'm she's like, oh, I can't. Or the other night, I, she can't use her wireless charger. So I'm like, do you have a USB-C port up here? No, I've got one of these. Is this the right one? No, that that's a mini USB. It's not going to fit in your phone. I don't have one. I thought I had one. Well, you don't. Well, I can't charge it wirelessly. All right, I'll trudge downstairs. I'll go get my USB-C charger. You're my hero, Matt. So it's completely dark upstairs. So I'm like, can you turn the flashlight on your phone so I can unplug this one and put the new adapter in so you can, yeah. So anyway, we, we got that. You got the, you've got you got my uh, fast charger upstairs. And meanwhile, the dog's like, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, Howard's like, Why what's is... going on? I thought I thought we were deciding to go to bed. <laughs> 
Why, why, why aren't we sleeping? Well, he's already asleep on the couch. It was really cute because um, I saw the corner of my eye. He jerked himself awake a couple of times. I think he woke himself up. And he just kind of like, he does that thing kind of like kids do sometimes when they just sort of jerk themselves yeah. awake and they kind of blink for a second real sleepily and then they just kind of pass out again. He's done that a couple of times. It's pretty cute. <laughs> oh, Howard the dog. We, we love our little animals. We, we've got Howard. We've got Willie the turtle and Lenny the leopard gecko. Has Lenny made an appearance yet? His light's been off. I don't know that I see him. He might be under the log. I can't really see right now. So, But we, we love our little guys. But, but Howard is fun because he's out of a tank. So he's always up to something. He's a little snuggle bug. And he is like our shadow. Like everywhere we go, he has to know what we're doing. And especially if we have food. Food is very important to Howard. And Howard does a very disconcerting thing. Now, he doesn't beg like most dogs. He doesn't get up on you and, and paw at you and whine. He just stares at you very intently. He gives intently. you the stone-cold stare of a killer who is going to get food and then kind of realizes that maybe he's not going to get food. But he's not going to stop looking at you until you finish your plate and tell him, sorry, buddy, it's all gone. And then maybe he'll go away. And stop staring at you. <laughs> he looks into your soul. Oh, but he's very well behaved. Very well behaved no, in that way. He's great. We take him for two longer walks, a morning walk and then an evening walk. And we used to take him for a late night walk, like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. But that has turned into a very short walk for Howard. Very rarely now does he walk he for more than like, five or ten minutes. He doesn't minutes. like nighttime. No, he doesn't like the dark. Uh, he doesn't, if he's, we won't turn the lights off upstairs until he's in the bed. Because it, it frightens him. He doesn't like the dark. And we leave lights on, night lights and stuff for him uh, around the house in case he needs to and walk during, around. And during, you know, like during the day too, if it's overcast and it's kind of dark in the house, I'll turn the lights on before I leave. That way he's got lights on during the day and he does really well. We, we leave dog TV on for him and he, he's really adjusted pretty well to being our dog. Yeah, unfortunately today the Wi-Fi crashed. <gasps> So when I got home, oh, no. it was just on the, the TCL Roku screen. Oh, I'm sure. Screensaver. I'm sure he was okay, though. He probably took a nap. I had to reset the router. Oh, he does like dog TV, I think. It's nice. It's soothing. It's, you know, it's meant for dogs. So I, <laughs> I will probably have a lot of YouTube recommendations now for dog stuff. Since <laughs> that's how the YouTube algorithm works. Yes. If anyone has a dog at home that needs, you know, companionship during the day, they have a really great thing on YouTube called Dog TV. And it's like just eight hours of very soothing music and different types of scenery. Like it'll basically be like, you know, your dog is riding in a car or your dog is on a walk through the woods or uh, at the beach or there's one where there's like a pond and ducks, which Howard would just absolutely freak out because he's definitely he a bird birds. dog. He loves bird dog. He's very, he's very much a bird dog. And so he loves birds and, um, yeah, but yeah, if you have a dog and you need to leave him at home for any period of time, dog TV is great. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I mean, Tuesday I came home and I put dog TV on and, um, then I was checking some stuff out from work, so I was sitting on the couch, and he just comes up to me, sits right next to me, and then he's he's he was watching the dog TV stuff. 
I know. It's so cute. And when we first got him, though, he didn't really like the TV or anything to be on because he was sort of getting used to the house. He was getting used, he was yeah. getting used to the noises and stuff. And anytime he'd hear, you know, voices or anything like that with the television, he would think someone was home and he'd go looking for us. And it was so sad because we'd check on him on the cam and he'd be barking or he'd be, you know, crying because he was, he thought we were home and we just weren't, you know, we were hiding from him or something. It was so sad and depressing. He's, he's mellowed. He knows, he knows our routine now. Yes. He's gotten into a routine. He knows we're coming home. You know, he doesn't feel so abandoned now. So he he still as excited as ever is when we, when we get home. Oh my God. He is absolutely thrilled when we get home. He is. It is kind of nice because, you know, Willie and Lenny, as much as they love us, Willie gets excited when he sees people, but he doesn't get as excited as Howard no, does. No, I mean, Howard jumps around in circles. <laughs> and Yeah, he's, he's a good dog. You definitely feel loved with Howard. All right, so uh, we snuck a little Howard talk in there we as well. We always do. We always, always do. I think that's going to be a, a theme of the show for the next couple years. All right, so it is time for the most, uh, our favorite segment. We'll just have to wait here for the, the jingle. What are you reading? What are you writing? What are you writing or reading today? And what you didn't see is that I just did jazz hands in the background. We both did. <laughs> so, Anne, what are you reading? What are you writing? What are you working on? Anything? Uh, as far as uh, writing, I haven't been doing a lot of writing. I have been watching Dr. Pimple Popper. That's been my thing. Oh, man, I watched some Dr. Pimple Popper. <laughs> you did? That was the first time you'd ever watched it, isn't I it? I watched two episodes of it. And after the first episode, I was like, I don't ever want to watch this again. Oh, man. Maybe it's just that I grew up with my mom, who's a registered nurse. But I I just can't. I I, I said that, but then I watched the second episode because they had the one guy on. (laughs) This poor guy had some gigantic growth on his finger. He was a crossing guard. They introduced him in this episode, but they didn't have resolution for him in the episode. So I had to watch the second episode in order to find out what happened to Gerald. So... (laughs) I, I got into it a little bit more after that, but it, yeah. it's it's tough. I mean, like I don't I don't like body stuff like surgery. I don't want to watch surgeries oh, or see, anything. See, I find that extremely fascinating. And loves it. So anyway, continue, Doctor Pimple so Popper. It's so cool. But yeah, I've been watching Doctor Pimple Popper season three, and it's been really fascinating. We've we've had cysts and dilated pores of Weiner and all kinds of good stuff. The growth on the hand, which was terribly fascinating. I mean, it's just, it's so neat. Well, you've got these these doctors, like the, the Dr. Pimple Popper herself, and then the, the expert that, that she brought in to consult on the case, and they're like, I have not seen, this is like a once in 20 year type of thing. Yeah, like, and they, it's they really had no cool idea when what something the guy like had. that happens. I mean, it's hard for him because he has to live with it every day, you know, it impedes on his life. Yeah, and people stare at him, and they yeah. ask him about it, and I guess it started out just like the size of a pea, and then over the span of years, it just got to be the size yeah. of what would you say, like a almost a baseball? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it was huge, and I felt so bad for the guy. So I'm glad that he they were able to find a way to remove it. Yes. And then we're able to kind of, and it was uh, like a non-cancerous tumor basically that was growing on yeah. his on his uh, hand. And so anyway, so you've been watching Dr. Pimple Popper. Are, are you all caught up now on Dr. Pimple Popper? I am. I am all caught up. Um, and then I think there's supposed to be a few more episodes in the season. And they so. will be uh, recorded via YouTube TV, which we are now 
using because as we talked about actually we didn't talk about this on the show a couple weeks ago because i ended up cutting the segment because we were running long but we switched from sling tv to youtube tv because sling dropped the fox sports channel which means i can't watch the cincinnati reds so we said bye-bye to sling but that's okay because we now we have youtube tv and i can watch dr pimple popper that's all i care mm-hmm. about and it has a dvr function so it's kind of nice it's perfect then you have any audio? You know, I always ask, what are you reading? What are you writing? But I really should be asking, what are you listening to? Because you always <laughs> listen to audiobooks. I do. I listen to them. Um, I listen to them at work. I probably do better listening to books uh, than I do reading them nowadays. So, you know, because it's great. I can listen to it in the car or I can listen to it at night when I'm laying in bed. and um, Or at work, you know, when I'm doing something. You know, a lot of times I do a lot of, um, at the cemetery, I do a lot of data entry. And so it kind of breaks up the monotony of just, you know, staring at a screen and entering information, you know? Um, but, uh, the recent, the most recent book that I'm reading right now, um, is on Martha Washington. It's actually really good. Um, it's called Martha Washington, an American life, uh, by Patricia Brady. The lady that reads the book, I will not name names. You guys can find out for yourself. If you get the audio book, um, she's kind of hard to listen to. Uh, it must not... be a heck of an interesting book then because of the person that's reading. It's not it's, interesting. It was a, it was a struggle. The first part of the book, I was really debating whether or not I wanted to finish the book, but I'm like, you know what? I really find this fascinating. The book was really well written. And so I'm like, you know what? I can do this. You can do this. And so I've been, I've been finishing you know, the book, but yeah, sometimes you just get the worst audio people. Oh my Lord. They're, they're, I don't know. I, I think probably some of the best I've come across, um, probably Simon Preble is amazing. Um, I love Jenna Lamia and, um, of course, uh, James Marsters is an excellent audiobook reader. I'm, I'm not surprised by that a bit. He has a great voice, and he does the Dresden Files. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So he reads the Dresden Files, and he also reads the Clockwork series by Cassandra Clare. Uh, he's reading that. He reads that. I don't think he reads the City of Bones series but uh, by Cassandra Clare, but he does read... The, um, the other one. Yeah, the yeah. other one. So, but yeah, it's it's really, he's really good. But sometimes you can get some real sleepers, unfortunately. But I've, I've, I've not run across too many that have been like that. Just maybe one or two. Uh, again, it must be a very interesting book in order to, you know, if it's a very boring narrator, that kind of makes it hard to Yeah, to, and everybody's tastes, everybody's tastes are different. But I think there's a certain tones of voice that I just... I have a hard time with. What about you? What are you doing? Well, I'm reading Star Wars Alphabet Squadron by yeah! Alexander Freed. How's and I, that going? Uh, it, it's really good. I, I think we'll probably put it on your on your good. Kindle. Good. I, I, I've been wanting to read the latest one, and um, I know that you had said that you had gotten it, and you were going to test it out and make sure you know it wasn't poisoned or anything. You say that when you test my dessert too. <laughs> well, naturally, I got to make sure it's <laughs> gotta okay. Got to make sure it's not poisoned. You know. Uh, it's it's interesting. Now, back uh, before Disney bought Star Wars, there was a, a big expanded universe canon that, that Star Wars had, had done, and they had a couple series of books. There was Wraith Squadron, which was a fighter squadron, and there was a Rogue Squadron series of books, uh, X-Wing books, and th- they were absolutely fantastic. You know, it's not about uh, the Jedi and the Sith or anything like that. It's just the pilots of the, the Rebel Army and, and, and everything. 
and this is kind of a throwback to, to that. And uh, for the most part, they, they put together this uh, ragtag group of pilots, and it's called Alphabet Squadron, jokingly, because like it's, there's an A-wing and an X-wing and a Y-wing and a U-wing in, in, in the group, so they're just kind of making fun of the fact that Star Wars calls all of its rebel fighters or something, you know, letter wing. And uh, the leader of the group is an ex-Imperial who uh, fought for the Imperials for a long time. It was in something called Shadow Wing, which is an elite Imperial TIE fighter group. And after the, the Empire was defeated, something called Operation Cinder went into effect. And this is something that Palpatine put into effect in the event of his death. He ordered certain commanders to do these things. And basically it was... a uh, uh, sort of the Daenerys Targaryen uh, burn everything down strategy. Waylaid different worlds and really caused a lot of destruction, just more of a, just a, as a last gasp of the Empire type of thing. And so this main character was part of Shadow Wing, did not approve of what happened to Operation Cinder, and defected to the Rebel Alliance, although now it's the, Repu the New Republic. She's ahead of this group. Nobody really necessarily trusts her because she's just fresh from the Imperials, and uh, she's got some people under her that, you know, I, I, you're just not sure whether you can trust them or not, but they're trying to find Shadow Wing so they can destroy Shadow Wing because they're, they're still causing a lot of problems for the New Republic. They're destroying capital ships and attacking worlds, and they think, since she was the former member of that group, that she could have sort of the, the knack for being able to find them. So right now, I'm about 60% through the book. It's at the phase where the team that has been sort of all over the place as far as their interpersonal relationships, they're starting to bond a little bit. Uh, the, 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 the people that are under her are bonding. They're waiting for their commander, who's sort of distant from them, to kind of come around. But no, it, it's a great Star Wars book. It reminds me a lot of X-Wing books that they had, the Rogue Squadron series that they had. I hope it ends well. Because I really enjoy it, and I hope maybe we'll see more from Alphabet Squadron. It's kind of a ridiculous title, but I also think it's kind of clever <laughs> that for them to, to kind of make fun of that. The, the, to be clear, Alphabet Squadron itself doesn't necessarily appreciate the name. Uh, it's sort of a derogatory name from other people in the New Republic uh, in the Army because they have all these disparate fighters in this sort of ragtag group. That's good. It's a good Star Wars book. As far as what I'm writing, I finished a uh, first draft of... Uh, short story, G The Gemma Crisis in my Stars vs. Crimson series. Still waiting for your feedback on that. And then, and especially the, the made-up song, Bayou Bangarang. I am <laughs> so proud of that. And then uh, I'm doing another Stars vs. Crimson short story, and it's loosely based on the Three Amigos. Um, oh, no. Three, three of the, three of the, the people on the Stars team uh, end up sort of crashing their jets in a part of Latin America, they end up in a town where, you know, something bad is happening and uh, those three people are going to band together and, and help save the townspeople. So, wow. uh, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. That's but, awesome. Uh, but it's fun. And so I, I'm, I'm about 8,000 words into that. I thought this would be like a five to 7,000 word story. It is currently longer than that. I'm sure, as is often the case, I'll go back and cut some things. And then the other big news, uh, big big thing, and we haven't watched it yet. Uh, we'll probably, I wouldn't be surprised if we go over and, and watch it this weekend with friend of the show, Dean Bankin. But Avengers Endgame came out on Blu-ray and uh, 4K and, and all that stuff this week. So we got uh, we got our copy, 
and it, it's sitting there uh, waiting to be watched. So I'm excited about that. And then uh, they had a sale this week, Anne, on Disney Rewards Points. Ooh. Uh, they cut the amount of points that you had to get certain movies. And we didn't have a whole lot of points. I mean, we had like 1,800 or something like that. And that's not a bad number, but usually that gets you maybe one movie. But they had a sale, so uh, on the way for us is uh, the Blu-ray and digital version of Inside Out, the Pixar movie. Yay! Which we really liked. I like Inside Out. And one that I have always wanted to see and have never seen, and I, I figured since we watched the, the remake uh, over the summer, um, Lion King one and a half. I have never seen that. You've never seen Lion King Never one seen and Lion King one oh, and a half. Oh, it's cute. I think you'd like it. And it said it had all the original voices of the, the people from, yeah. from the uh, original movie, and it was made some years after, but I've heard good things about it. And I figured uh, for 400 points or whatever that that was not a bad bad deal for a Blu-ray. Those are those will be coming soon. Uh, I'm very excited because I ordered a new customized Indianapolis Colts jersey. Yes. And I'm like, oh, good. I'll finally... I have a customized one, but it's a Reebok jersey. And this will be a, the new Nike jersey uh, that they've been wearing for a few years. And so I was excited about the fact that it was a new Nike jersey. And was excited about the fact that now we both have an Adams jersey that we can wear. <laughs> So she can wear one, I can wear so one. So when I feel like it, I can wear one of his jerseys, and he'll have another one to wear. And the last uh, the last said, uh, you probably haven't followed any of this with Andrew Luck and his calf injury. No. God, no. I'll get into it very quickly. Uh, I don't read sports news. No. I just know what you tell me. Yeah, well, and I haven't told you about this. Uh, in, in March, uh, Andrew Luck started to have... <laughs> He's smiling. <laughs> this got to be something good. Well, in, in March, uh, Andrew Luck started to have some, some problems with his calf. Uh, and so he set out uh, team training activities and stuff like that, and they said he had a calf strain. Uh, May came around. He set out the off-season organized team activity portion. But they said he'd be ready for the, the preseason and stuff. So training camp rolls around up in Westfield, and Luck's still having trouble with his calf. And they can't figure out what the problem is. So, like, July 28th, he pulls himself out of practice, and he hasn't practiced with the team since then. They've played a preseason game. They've got another preseason game coming up this week against Cleveland on Saturday. They break training camp tomorrow. As the, today was their last training camp practices. Andrew Luck still has not practiced um, since then with the team. Supposedly, he's throwing on the side and everything, but they've they brought in another specialist. And earlier this week, Jim Ursay had implied that he had some sort of bone injury in his foot that was causing the discomfort. Well, oh, no. That was apparently not the case. They brought in another specialist. And so instead of this calf injury that has been going on for like five months now, um, which a calf strain can linger for a while, but five oh, months yeah. is a bit excessive. He started having problems in March. And now they're saying that he effectively has, they're not calling it a high ankle sprain, but they're calling it a high ankle injury. And that is what's causing his pain. And they think if he just rests it for a few weeks, He'll be ready to go for the season, but there's now a lot of doubt as to whether Andrew Luck will be able to start oh, in game one man. of the season. And the Colts have very high expectations. They've turned the roster around. They've got a very talented group, a very deep group of players, but it's all predicated on getting good quarterback play from Andrew Luck. But now that it's some uncertainty of whether or not he'll be playing in week one. Although they, even when they sat him down during training camp, they said, oh, don't worry, he'll be there for week one. And mm. now it's not looking light. It's not looking. He, he's not going to play in the preseason now. He's not going to even appear. He's just going to rest that injury, and I guess hope it gets better. And they've got like three and a half weeks to get him ready for the season opener. That's crazy. That's terrible. 
Poor guy. Yeah, no, and I feel bad for him, and I also feel bad for the fans because Lux shoulder was this gigantic enigma for a couple of seasons, and then he had his injury. Uh, he, he had a torn labrum, and he still played with that, and then he tried to rehab it. didn't quite work, so they ended up having surgery for him, and, you know, he was had to sit out a season and stuff, so... People just feel he lost that whole season because he, he sat out with this shoulder injury. And a lot of people are feeling a little deja vu on this. And I feel bad for the guy because all the people, all the questions he's going to get are about this calf injury and this high ankle thing that's going on. And like, so Jim Irsay did an interview with Bill Pullian on Sirius XM NFL radio and talked about this bone injury that it turns out he doesn't have. But when Jim Irsay spoke, it sort of took it out of turn from what the Colts' company line was. It was a calf strain. And so then the general manager last night, Chris Ballard, uh, Wednesday night, had to call a press conference, a teleconference, oh, no. to explain what was going on with Andrew oh, Luck. Man. And so it's just been this – we just couldn't have a normal training camp where our quarterback's there and we can talk about all the different players and the position battles the only thing people can talk about from training camp now is Andrew Luck's leg and his calf and what's going to happen with that. So that's the quick version of that unfortunate story. Wow. That's pretty so, crazy. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, one of my coworkers is going to be on uh, her honeymoon for a couple of weeks. And so I will be working the 4 to 12 shift. And I mention that because uh, I haven't done a Colts podcast. And I usually do a Colts podcast. Uh, you know, I'll do a, a season review and, and stuff like that. I will probably do that this year, but Anne does not. Anne's interested. She'll watch a game with me and stuff, but she doesn't want to talk about football. Uh, but maybe the 4-12, to 12, uh, since we have the 4-12 to 12 shift, maybe one of these days I'll do a bonus podcast over the next couple of weeks to kind of give my thoughts on the Colts and where I think they're going and stuff like that. And I'll try to limit the calf talk. Because I, I listened to JMV, the, the radio sports radio host here in, in the Indy area, and, like, his last three or four podcast segments that I've listened to have all been about Andrew Luck and his calf. <laughs> but the story's developed. I mean, it has developed. It's been from, oh, it's a calf strain. Oh, he's still having pain. Oh, now Jim Mercer says it's a bone thing. Oh, but Chris Ballard, the general manager, yeah. says it's a high ankle thing. So it's just been this saga. And then the other thing I would, I guess, talk about would be the Cincinnati Reds. And they're tanking now. They've lost several games in a row after showing the, some promise. Although Aristides... Aquino, I think I'm pronouncing it somewhat close. The guy has now hit nine home runs in 14 games. Wow. They call him the Punisher because he punishes the baseball. Wow, the Punisher. I like that. So, But you, you've you watched your fair amount of Reds games, uh, at least yeah. uh, sort of a by osmosis with me, and I'm a loyal fan, so I'll still watch them even though they're not playing great right now. They got beat 17-7 to the other day. Oh, that's painful. They gave up 10 runs in one inning. Ouch. Yeah, that's just painful. So anyway, uh, and let, do you have anything else to, to add to the podcast? No, I Any do last? Not. You want to talk last-minute sports topics? Just drop them in there. You go right ahead. <laughs> no, I think I'm good. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Matt Adams podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Statomatty, S-T-A-T-O-M-A-T-T-Y at Statomatty. Email me Matt at MattAdamsWriter.com. Matt at MattAdamsWriter.com. And as we like to say every once in a while, almost every podcast. And where can the people find you? Wherever Matt is. Still my favorite bit from the show. Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) Thank you.